I'm Charlie Hipwood, CEO of Mass Ventures. And I'm Stacy Swider, an investor at Mass Ventures. And we welcome you to the Fundable Founder, where we'll be exploring relevant topics for technology entrepreneurs to help them succeed in raising capital and in growing their businesses. As a founder who started and ran three companies, I didn't know what I didn't know when I first set out. <laughs> but you eventually figured things out, right? For the most part, through trial and error and mentorship. But now as a VC, I'm frequently advising entrepreneurs on the same topics. So Stacy and I are here to share that earned wisdom with you, along with the experts that we interview on a variety of subjects. We are. The roadmap to a successful startup is at your fingertips. So turn up the volume and grab the keys to success for your fundable founder journey. Okay, I'm here today with Kate, Caitlin Kirkaldi, easy enough for me to say, of Zipcar. Welcome. You're a senior product manager at Zipcar. Yes, happy to be here. Great. Um, so tell me a little bit about product management. It's an area that I don't have a ton of experience in. You know, how do you describe what you do when you're speaking to a family member at Thanksgiving dinner? Yeah, so I think one of the funny things about product management is that it's a relatively new field compared to something like marketing or sales or software engineering, where there was just kind of like a vacuum where you need someone who can help take what the business needs, what the customer needs, and then translate that into something actionable for engineers so they can build the software. So I'm particularly in software product management. You can obviously do product management for a physical product. Sure. And it's still the same kind of idea, right? Where you're taking a customer pain point, a problem that needs solving, and thinking about how you can solve it in a way that brings value to your business. And then turning that into something that's actually workable for engineers, where they can think through, how should I develop this? How do I need to make this work? Um, and then how can we get that into the hands of our end users? So it's hard explaining it, I think, especially, you know, when you're at the Thanksgiving table, a lot of people are like, wait, so do you do coding? Do you do this? Do you do that? Right. Um, so there's a lot of confusion in this space, but I think, you know, it's a really interesting role because you're taking, you know, business knowledge and acumen, you're taking customer empathy, you're taking ability to use data to make decisions. And then you're working with very technical people in data analysts and scientists and software engineers to actually build something that a customer can use someday. And so it sounds like a, a pretty challenging role because you have to be able to speak engineering language. You have to be able to speak customer language. You have to be able to translate that, probably prioritize a lot of things, uh, synthesize a lot of information that you're getting from the customers because you can't do everything all at once. Um, you know, what do you think are, for you, what are some of the, the big challenges and the things that you enjoy about the role? Yeah, I think everything you just listed is simultaneously one of the biggest challenges, but also one of the things that I love the most about being a product manager. So um, I think one of the most underrated skills um, for product managers in general is just communication, because to your point, you need to be able to speak to you know, the leadership or executive team at your company, you need to be able to speak to marketers or people in the finance team, whoever your stakeholders are, and you need to be able to speak to and motivate engineers. So I think that's one of the most fun challenges as a product manager is how do you work with, communicate with, and motivate all of these diverse groups of people at your company. Um, so I think that's really one of the top skills that people overlook. But some of the other things you mentioned are critical as well, right? Um, you can't and you shouldn't ever do everything at once because you're never going to do it well and you're kind of going to undercut whatever success right. you might have seen. So it is really important to ruthlessly prioritize everything you do, especially if you're early on in your business or early on in your product launch, 
um, and use data to actually inform and generate and validate hypotheses to then say, okay, if we build this, we'll have the biggest impact. So this should be our MVP. And then we wanna layer in these subsequent features while taking in learnings from the launch of our MVP and being able to pivot should we need to. So I think uh, forcing yourself to be really ruthless with prioritization is one of the, you know, maybe the second most challenging thing of being a product manager. That's great. And let's unpack some of that. Cause I think you mentioned a few things that I think are interesting uh, that a lot of first time founders in particular might find interesting about product uh, management. And one of, one of the things you mentioned was being data-driven, right? And it's challenging at a startup to, to go out, talk to customers, um, and, and start to build your product or build what they need because you're, you're taking in all that information and you're like, oh, I, I've got to build all this stuff for the, for the end customer. How do you actually deal with data? How do you kind of develop data around that to be able to process it and make the right decisions? What, what's your process for gathering data? Any tips and tricks and, and any advice there would be great. Yeah, so I'm definitely lucky where, you know, I'm at Zipcar and we have just hundreds of thousands of members. So we have a, a lot of different touch points, a lot of data to work with. So um, I think every company can get to that point, right? As you acquire customers, you can develop more and more data infrastructure and more and more analytics. So I think it's important to think about when you're working on your MVP, think about what particular events and actions a user can take that you would want to be able to measure. Okay. Um, so that's a little bit ahead as you're getting into the software development phase, but you want to be able to figure out these are the events we want to track. And so I should make sure I build that into my platform. But before you get to that MVP phase, I think it can be overwhelming when you're, you're saying, okay, I don't have any obvious data. Nothing's jumping out to me. Um, where should I start? And I think you nailed it with kind of user interviews, customer interviews, right? Um, it's so, so important to talk to users and potential users early. Um, and that really does mean sometimes face-to-face -face conversations, sometimes it's a survey, sometimes it's maybe you show them your wireframes and you just see how they interact with it. It's really important to kind of use that data to inform your early decision-making, especially if you don't have a wealth of existing data about your, your tool or technology. Um, a few other things that I, I like to think about when it's really early at looking at a problem and you might not have a lot of data to dig into is what proxy data do I have? You know, what's, you know, maybe I don't have the perfect, you know, piece or segment of data that I want, but how can I get as close to that as possible with proxy data? And that might be, you know, using existing data sets that are public data sets out there to, to query yourself. That might be, you know, asking a hundred people the same question and seeing how they answer it. Um, but it's important to think about if I can't get that ideal state piece of data that I want, how can I get as close to it as possible? And I think there are a lot of really kind of creative, scrappy ways to do that through things like public data sets, um, user research, surveys, interviews, um, and even, you know, maybe you have a website up and you can use some of your own web analytics, even if it's not super in-depth, you can at least understand how people are engaging with your website before you get further and further into your launch. That's great. And, and um tremendous advice about using external data sources. I, I hadn't really thought about doing that um, in the companies I had started before. I think I just, you focus on what you're doing, right? And you just start going down that path, but there are various pieces of information out there that you can, that you can use to inform your decision along the way. And that'll get you a little bit further, maybe a little bit quicker. So um, great piece of advice. You know, one of the challenges I always had um, with product management is how to filter through the noise and know and, and figure out what the customer is really saying. 
um, and then how that drives my decision. Any piece of advice about kind of just filtering the noise or, or, or processes for eliminating the noise maybe and, and maybe not having as much noise in advance? Yeah, I think, I think it's hard because a lot of times, especially if you're doing user interviews um, where you have maybe like a free text question in a survey, right. you might just get really rambling answers or confusing answers. And, and so I think it is tricky when you're looking at how can I kind of wade through all of this. I would say uh, really hold yourself to, if you're looking at putting together a survey, just hold yourself to simple yes or no questions to start maybe. So you're not just overloading yourself with information. Um, when you're doing interviews, really push yourself to, to ask questions that aren't necessarily leading, which is actually a lot harder than I think we all assume it is. Um, you don't want to ask a question of, you know, let's say you're, you know, a video platform. You don't want to go in and say, you, how much do you use video? Because you're just assuming that they already use it, right? So you really want to push yourself to say, like, how can I have simple questions that are going to get me the answers that I want that aren't going to bias anything? Um, and I think in general, with, when it comes to cutting down the noise, it's, it is hard, but having a really good distillation of the problem you're trying to solve is so, so important before you go start you know, digging in and doing user research. Because if you can stay focused on your problem and you understand that you have an idea for how to solve it, but that might not be the best possible idea, that's great because then you know, at least I can ground myself in my problem. I can take in, you know, whether it's survey data, research data, user interview data, and then see how that validates or disproves my hypothesis about how I want to solve the problem. And I think that can really help too, is just making yourself be really disciplined to what is the problem I'm trying to solve and is my solution actually best position to solve it. That's fantastic. Um, I couldn't agree more about the surveys. I've issued so many surveys where I get the results and I'm like, I don't even know what to do with this because I wasn't, I wasn't specific enough or I was too open-ended and that the yes, no questions is a great small piece of advice that goes a long way. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about just developing that MVP then. Um, so you, you get your data. I mean, how do you go about as a product manager thinking about developing and launching an MVP for your product, for your customers? Yeah. So it definitely involves a lot of that, you know, first data collection and then analysis and sifting through and figuring out, you know, I have my problem, I have my ideal solution, you know, have we validated that this solution will actually work? And let's say, yes, we have, okay. Then it's, you can't just look at every possible feature you could launch. You really have to think about, um, especially for startups, but really any company, you know, whatever size company you are, you're going to be resource constrained when it comes to engineering. It's just the reality of software development. So. Um, then you're thinking about, okay, this is all of the stuff I would love to do, but given my limited development resources and given my need to get this in the hands of end users as soon as possible, what is the you know, set of features, which is ideally not very big, that I can release that's going to drive both the most user engagement and to solve this user problem and the most value for my business? And early on, that might actually be just getting it in as many hands as possible for you. It might not be, oh, I have, you know, this X profit margin goal that I must hit with this launch, right? Um, you might not have an explicit profit goal. You might have a revenue goal. You might have just a user retention and engagement goal. But it's really thinking about what do I actually want to achieve? And then of all of the possible features that I could have attached to this launch, um, how can I whittle that down to the most impactful ones for my MVP? Um, and I think one thing that we always used to say at previous startups I've been at is, if, and it's just a kind of classic product idiom, but it 
it's if you're not embarrassed by your MVP, you probably launched too late. So it really is true, right? Like at Very any true. company, you would be surprised that some of the biggest companies in the world, they launch things and it just doesn't work yeah. and they immediately learn from it. And that's great. And that's a good thing. So I think it's really important to say like, okay, this is the problem. These are the three features that will solve it in the most impactful way to our users and our business. And we will focus solely on those things and get it out. And we'll learn immediately from that launch. So I think that's what I recommend is just be really, really ruthless when you're thinking about what you're launching, because it's totally okay to release something, have a bug, realize, you know, you should have done it in a different way and then release that immediately afterwards. But as a, as a product manager, that's got to be really challenging, right? Like you launch the MVP and you know that you're going to get inundated with people telling you all the things that are wrong. How do yeah. you manage that? Uh, you know, it's it just, how do you prepare for that and manage that? And then again, distill the information you're getting back to improve your product and achieve what the customer wants without losing the customer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a great point. I think um, one of, one of the skills that I probably should have mentioned earlier as a product manager is you just kind of need a thick skin and you need to not take things personally. You know, you're not your product. You are working to release a product and build a product that is most valuable to your business and your customers. But if your hypothesis doesn't work, that's totally fine. And honestly, it could be a really good thing. So I think it's important as, as PMs not to be so attached to our, our hypotheses that if it doesn't go the way we want, it's like the worst thing in the world and we're getting all this feedback and then we're down and it's hard. So I think that's definitely part of what you've said. Um, and then I think, yeah, if it's actually great to, to launch something and have it not work or to get all of this feedback, um, you just have to realize like, let's say you're just getting all of a sudden dozens of negative app reviews that's okay, right? Like you can reply to them and you can figure out um, what is the trend with these app reviews. Is everyone saying, every time I reset my password, it doesn't save? Great, that's immediately what you can focus on next. Or are they saying, it's really confusing. I don't understand how I get up and running with this app. Great, figure out how your onboarding can improve. So yes, it can be overwhelming to get negative feedback, but it's just important to, to not take it personally and then to actually say, all right, yes, it's not fun to maybe read these negative reviews or, or have all these angry customer service calls, whatever it is, but there's still data in there and it's still really important to take that in so you can be close to your end user and customer. And then how do you take that and manage your relationship with the engineer, right? Because they're working hard, they're building the product, they're very skilled at what they do, but you've got to come yeah. back and say, hey, you know, here's the things that, we, that didn't work and manage that relationship as well. I mean, that's a, that's a big challenge. Yeah, it's, it is, it's, it's totally a big challenge. I think as a product manager, it's very important to just, to basically never throw your engineers under the bus, right? Like you don't want to say, oh, it wasn't me. Like, you know, right. I had nothing to do with this. Cause obviously you were a big part of thinking through how we, you know, how we want to solve this problem. And while your engineers are figuring out how we actually want to implement the solution, um, you're still part of that process. So you don't want to say, oh yeah, like engineering didn't think through this thing, like never do that. Um, but with engineers, most of the ones I've worked with are actually really invested in the end user journey and they're fairly empathetic. I think people overlook that, you know, engineers actually care that their work is out in the world, that it's being used, that people like it. So True. I think it's totally fine to, in whatever like recurring sync you might have with engineers, or maybe it's only one engineer to say, you know, here's our early performance data. Um, we're seeing that people really don't like this one feature. 
what are your thoughts on improving it, right? And, and kind of giving them some opportunity to have that buy-in, have that accountability on how you can improve the solution and figure it out. So I think it's important to really be collaborative, to give them some, some you know, buy-in and accountability, a look under the hood, and not just to say, they didn't like this feature, here's how we're going to fix it. Um, it really should be much more collaborative than that. That's fantastic. Look, we're just about out of time. Uh, you've, you've dropped a lot of really great advice that, uh, you know, I've certainly learned a lot here. And I think a lot of first-time founders and others will find this really valuable. Any final parting words of wisdom, anything we didn't touch on that you want to get across? It's a good question. I think uh, I'll just reiterate that often, you know, we talk about product management as being really data-driven and being able to translate business needs into engineering requirements. And those are very important skills, but I would just push everyone to not overlook what people might call soft skills of product management, because that can be make or break with how well you're able to influence your engineers or your stakeholders or your executive team. Um, Or maybe if you're a CEO and you're sort of acting as the product manager, your board and your investors. Um, So I would say those soft skills include communication, um, empathy, figuring out how to motivate teams, um, figuring out how to not take things personally. It's really, really important. So yes, absolutely. You need to be data-driven and you need to be good at understanding business needs and technical requirements, but just don't underlook those skills because it happens so frequently, but it will make your life so much easier if you spend time kind of honing those skills and actually using them. For sure. And I, and I'm sure, you know, when you're hiring people on your team, I mean, I, I imagine you're interview process is really honing in on those attributes, not necessarily your experience or your particular skill set with a certain industry or or whatever it might be. It's those attributes that make you a good uh, PM, right? Totally. Yeah. That's definitely something that we look at is how do you have, you know, all of these skills and it's okay if you index higher in some than others, because we're always looking to balance our team and, you know, build a diverse team, but it is something we, we pay attention to. And it's why when I do hire product managers, I include engineers, UX designers, and my main stakeholders are marketers in the interview panel because I want to see how they engage with all those types of people. Tremendous. Well, really appreciate you being on today, Caitlin. This has been uh, really insightful for me and, and I know others will, will learn a lot. So thank you so much and, and good luck with everything uh, going forward. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Fundable Founder. Please go to our website at mass-ventures.com for more information on Mass Ventures and where you can also find other episodes just like this.